surrounded by Lannisters. Every time I close my eyes, I see their blonde hair and their smug, satisfied faces. Okay, so this week we are going to be talking about Tyrion Lannister and a, a little control list I put together at 40 points. I should know the routine by now, guys, so let's just go ahead and get into it. We can open up the attached PDF and we can go ahead and follow along. We'll give a look over things and then get into some tactics for the list. Uh, giving a rundown of the list, we have Tyrion Lannister as the commander. One unit of Lannister crossbowmen with Tyrion attached. One unit of naked Lannister crossbowmen. One unit of House Bolton bastards girls with brawn attached. One naked unit of Lannister halberdiers. One Lannister halberdier unit with an assault veteran. One Lannister unit, uh, sorry, halberdier unit with uh, the hound. Varys and Tywin Lannister. Alternatively, if you don't like running some naked uh, halberdier units, you can swap out the hound for a couple of assault veterans to fill out those units. Or guard captains are, you know, really to your flavor. Uh, I like the Hound in one unit for reasons we'll get into when we get to the specifics. Looking over Tyrion Lannister's uh, commander card, we have the following. Order, Superior Tactician. When an opponent plays a tactics card, roll a die on a 5+, cancel the effect of that tactics card. You may discard a tactics card to re-roll this die, and this may be repeated. So his ability basically says you don't like your opponent playing tactics, you can roll a die, cancel it out potentially, pitch a card if you really, really need that effect to go through. Noting that the Lannister Generic Tactic deck also contains two copies of Counterplot, which do this on a 3-plus with a reroll if you um, control the crown. So already we have a control theme going with Tyrion, and this is going to be the overarching theme for this entire list, is forcing your opponent to bad situations, and then basically taking away all of their resources, strategies, and tactics, so that they have to go into everything unprepared. What this means is that this list is going to focus a lot on condition tokens, uh, Tyrion's own tactics cards, and then our NCUs are very important in this list, as always. Looking at Tyrion's specific tactics cards, the first one we have is Adaptive Tactics. At the start of any turn, place this card at the bottom of your tactics deck and return one discarded tactics card to your hand. If you control the tactics zone, one opponent must also randomly discard one tactics card. Man, tactics is going to be said a lot during this cast. Alright, so this basically allows you to... Um, Pitch uh, one, uh, sorry, play the card, and then pull whatever resource you need out of your discard pile back into your hand. Uh, if you control the tactic zone, an opponent has to randomly discard a tactics card, which is nice. That's kind of the uh, icing on top of this cake. Uh, Tyrion has a natural affinity for the uh, tactics zone, so you are going to be controlling that fairly often if you want to have the most benefit of his uh, cards. This is going to play into our strategy a lot as well, because you're also going to be wanting to place condition tokens down, which that zone specifically allows you to draw two tactics cards, which you're going to be running a lot of, because the Lannister ones are very powerful, and so are Tyrion's, uh, and place a condition token on an enemy unit. You're going to see that this is going to develop a theme in the list here. So the thing about this list is... Um, well, actually, I'm sorry. Let's read through the other two cards before we get ahead of ourselves. <laughs> Cunning Ploy. When a friendly combat unit activates... Instead of this unit performing an action, one previously activated combat unit may perform one action instead. This unit still gains an activation token. If you control a tactics zone, opponents may not play tactics cards this turn. So twofold effect here. If you control the tactics zone, you're shutting off your opponent's ability to react to anything you do. Fantastic on its own. But more so, what you're allowed to do here is activate a unit, and then instead of that unit actually doing anything, a previously activated unit, you know, takes an additional action, noting that the unit that you targeted initially is still the one that activates. So uh, basically you're giving up one unit's activation to reactivate a previous one. Uh, this is uh, severely useful for a lot of the effects that are in here, and just in general, um, you know, gives you more battlefield control and ma manipulating over the flow of what is and isn't going to go. 
Uh, the last tactics card we have here is Delay Orders, which is kind of like a reverse cunning ploy. Uh, when an enemy would activate a combat unit, that enemy must choose a different combat unit to activate if able. If you control the tactics zone, you may choose the unit that must activate instead. This is an immensely powerful card. Uh, this is probably, well, all of his cards are going to be strong, but they're all semi-situational, and that's the thing. So the thing I was going to say earlier is that this list is not an easy one to play. You really have to know what your opponent is capable of, and you have to be able to think ahead of them. Basically, you have to be Tyrion, okay? So, you know, if you're a Sandor Clegane or a Gregor Clegane, don't go into uh, the game playing this list. It's not going to work out well for you, you meatheads. <laughs> Just kidding. Not really. Uh, if you're a smart tactician, though, this is going to give this list is going to give you a wealth of manipulation options, and frankly, it's going to be one of the most frustrating lists for your opponent to play against. You know, you might have lists like Jamie Lannister, which is going to be uh, very defensive, and your opponent can kind of expect what they're going to see there. Okay, they're going to hit into you. Bad stuff's going to happen. If they can weather that, then good on them. They're probably going to win. The thing about this list here is that your opponent is never going to know what you're capable of doing. You're always going to have some ace up your sleeve in some capacity and more so the other half of this list is shutting down all the cool tricks that your opponent can do this is probably the most control oriented of any of the Lannister lists um, that I have showcased so far of course using the available units and everything from the Kickstarter so note that and sometime in the future this might become a little outdated all right so we've gone over his generic tactics card sorry his uh, commander specific tactics cards and that's going to give you a general feel for how he plays, okay? You've got one card that allows you to cycle your um, tactics cards back in your hand. You have one that allows you to reactivate previous units. And then you've got one that allows you to control what your opponent is going to activate. This uh, wrapped together with his innate ability to cancel your opponent's tactics cards. And you see that you're going to have a large amount of battlefield control. The trade-off here is that nothing in your deck, including the Lannister side of things, is really going to give you any combat advantages outside of manipulating the flow of the battlefield, which arguably can be the single most powerful effect you could have. But the thing is, is that you're not going to have any baseline combat buffs. Uh, you're going to have the standard Lannister panic tactics, but that's kind of built into their deck with the assumption that that's where their damage is coming from. So you're going to have not a lot of buffs to your units, so you need to find those elsewhere. And that's via the attachments that we have, and we'll get into that. So looking at our NCUs, we have two options here at 40 points. Um, we have Tywin Lannister, the Great Lion, which he has a single once per game ability, which is at the start of any turn, noting this is any turn, friendly or enemy, so if your opponent's going to activate something scary, you can go ahead and play Reigns of Castamere. If you need to make something dead, then you can go ahead and play Reigns of Castamere. Um, but its effect is once per game at the start of any turn, choose one enemy combat unit. That unit becomes panicked, vulnerable, weakened, and any attachments on that uh, unit lose all abilities until the end of the round. Flip this card over to show its ability has been used. Now it's worth noting here that it is any attachments on the unit lose any abilities. The unit itself does not actually lose any of its printed abilities. Uh, so for example, if you targeted a unit of Lannister Halberdiers with an Assault Veteran, you know, an enemy one obviously, then the Assault Veteran is going to shut off and they're not going to get that... Um, uh, hold the line ability, but they will st ha still have their natural order of set for charge. So that's something to consider. But really, the big benefit here is that you're giving them all three condition tokens. Uh, there's a small little side benefit of that, is that if you're playing Winds of Winter, that can actually instantly fulfill one of the secret missions that you have. Um, but that's kind of a corner case scenario, just a nice little uh, extra if it happens. 
but really you're just crippling that unit by taking away everything it can possibly do. If you cannot manage to really damage that unit that turn or prevent them from damaging you, then, well, you really shouldn't be playing this list. Uh, this is combined with the fact that, again, you're going to be taking the tactic zone quite a lot with this list. So you're already going to be throwing down a bunch of condi condition tokens. And condition tokens are one of the, I think, unsung heroes of strategy and tactics in this game because a lot of people, oh yeah, look at the tactics cards, that's super neat. Look at the uh, tactics board, oh yeah, cool and everything. But if you have a real strong focus on condition tokens, they can really swing things around because forcing rerolls of any variety is super nasty. And especially if so you make an enemy panicked, you're going to then play into all of the Lancer tricks that you have. You make them vulnerable, okay? You are able to pierce through their armor, especially because this list is going to be running heavy amounts of Sundering. And if they're weakened, well, that's going to prevent a lot of the damage they deal to you because, again, you don't really have a lot of other defensive tricks. So that's going to become very important. Uh, moving on to our next non-combat character, we have Lord Varus, the Spider. Varus begins the game with four order tokens on him. When an enemy NCU claims a zone on the tactics board, you may expend one order token on Varus and roll a die. On 3+, choose one. That NCU loses all abilities until the end of the round. 2. Cancel the effect of the claimed zone. This may be repeated if unsuccessful. So you four times per game, you can roll a die, and with a 66% chance, you're going to cancel out the effect of an NCU or cancel the effect of their claimed zone. Uh, and you can reroll that if you really, really need it to go off. So here is the other aspect of control. So right now we have controlling your enemy's tactics cards. We have counterplot and Tyrion's natural ability. We have controlling their board positioning with cunning ploy and delay orders. We have giving them a metric ass ton of condition tokens via Tywin Lannister. Okay, yeah, once per game. Uh, but also the tactic zone that we're going to be claiming fairly often. And then finally, we have Lord Varus here who is going to say, oh, your last saving grace that you have, your NCUs, we're going to try to cancel those out as well. And if you're going to try to be sneaky about it and claim some really nasty zones on the board, you know, hell, we can cancel that as well. The thing about Varus is that you really need to know when to play his effect because four order tokens can really go by pretty quick, especially if you're going to throw any out for uh, rerolls. So, you know, don't get super crazy about it. You really need to hold it for those clutch moments where you really need something to not go off. And, you know, there's not really any way to tell you when that is aside from just getting experience with the list. So, something to keep in note, but he's going to round out our little, um, not trifecta because we actually have a couple more components here other than three, of controlling the battlefield. So let's move on to the actual units that we have. I'm going to start with the simpler ones, the Lannister Crossbowmen. One of those we're sticking Tyrion in because he does not need to be anywhere near the battlefield to do his thing. So he just is going to sit there in the back with those Crossbowmen and be all kinds of happy. This really isn't going to matter too much where he is, except if you're playing specific game modes, such as Clash of Kings or Winds of Winter, because those actually can... Um, uh, those are actually where your commander is and him dying or surviving is actually fairly important in both of those grant, uh, because they can grant extra victory points. So the Lancer Crossman, both those units are just going to hang in the back and take pock shots at people. So just keeping him back there and safe is going to give you a bigger advantage over a lot of the other commanders in the game, uh, which need to be in a combat unit that's going to be up there in melee to really be effective. The Crossman are basically going to sit there in the back behind the units of Halberdiers and just start plinking shots into people. Uh, once they, the Halberdiers become engaged, the Crosswomen are going to start shooting into melee, probably, which is going to result in some panic tests for your Halberdiers. It's a risk to you know take, but frankly what you want to do is 
get those crossmen into the flanks of someone so you can stack up the flank bonus that you're going to get and sundering. So you're going to be giving in when you shoot into a minus two to their defense rolls. Again, combine that with vulnerable and you should be dealing a heavy amount of damage because you're throwing seven dice hitting on threes. All right. This combined with cunning ploy so you can reactivate them is going to make that even better. Um, and you know, just again, you can use the maneuver zones to get in those flanks. You can use the, uh, combat zone to get the extra attacks off if you need to move them beforehand. Important thing about these guys is that if they get melee, they're gonna die. So don't let that happen. You have halberdiers and some ba roaming bastards girls that should be preventing that. Uh, another neat thing about this list, just talking generals, is that you don't have a lot of drop-off as far as your abilities go. Everything in this list has been specifically chosen and catered to not lose attack dice until it hits that last rank. So you're actually fairly resilient. And even when you hit that last rank, you can use the Wealth Zone, which you're going to be one claiming anyway because you're a Lannister, to really pop yourself back up into a fighting formation. Because the Lannister Crossmen, for example, have a 773 attack profile. Same thing as the Halberdiers, the Bastards Girls having a uh, 663. Um, everything in your army maintains its attack dice until you hit the last rank. So this is a very good attrition-based army, even if your armor is basically paper for a lot of these guys. I mean, the Halberdiers have a respectable 4+. But the Bastards Girls and the Crossmen, no. They're not going to survive a prolonged engagement, nor should they. So this is going back to where your strategy and tactics from Tyrion are really going to shine. Because if you just blunder into this army, you're going to get charged, you're going to get killed, and you're going to have a bad time. And, well, you're going to lose the game. If you play it smart, though, then your opponent should never really be able to get anything you're stuck down. Or if they do, you should be able to really punish them for it. Uh, you're going to be using probably the... Uh, a lot of retreating in this army, so that's something I would also get used to. Um, well, actually, you might not be using that much. But here's the thing. Don't forget that the retreat action exists, okay? Because I see so many players that just ignore it, and will sit there and have crosswomen attack in melee with their pitiful five attack dice hitting on a four plus like they're going to do something, okay? If you retreat, there's always a good chance that the opponent is not going to actually successfully recharge you uh, because your movement's five and you're moving back a d6. And even if they do, okay, yes, they're going to get a bonus, but your guys are probably dead anyway, and you're able to uh, maneuver battlefield positioning around, because if you manage to pull an enemy back far enough, then they've got a choice. So, okay, are they going to pursue you and then potentially open up their side or their rear to your forces, or are they going to let you go? And if they let you go, then, hell, you've got some crossbows to shoot at them, right? So, again, think the long game. There's too many people that think short game, and this is definitely not a list that allows that. Next on the list, we have uh, two units of Lannister, sorry, three units of Lannister Halberdiers. Uh, one of them is going to be naked, and that's just merely a points thing. As I mentioned earlier, you can remove the Hound and stick in two assault veterans, guard captains, whatever you want in place. But I really like having the Hound. And the reason I like having him in this list is because you're going to give the Halberdiers plus one to hit and vicious with the Hound's Fury ability. And so the Halberdiers are okay with their Sundering and their seven dice to four plus. But even then, it's not amazing. And I'm going to wager most of you are going to be playing against Starks, who are going to be way better at combat than you. So you're going to need to have tricks to help that. The combination of Sundering and Vicious is super nasty to take down most any unit. The plus one to hit is great as well, because that's going to up your chances from 50% to 66%. Um, and, you know, that's going to help you out. The thing is that every hit matters, because you're, you have Sundering, and you should be throwing down a decent amount of vulnerable uh, to enemies. So, you know, forcing them to reroll defense saves of minus one is pretty nasty. Vicious here is going to make you into a double threat because now you're targeting their armor and reducing that, and you're also giving them a morale hit, which, especially against Starks, you're going to need to capitalize on. 
Uh, Vicious is also just going to synergize so well with many of the generic Lannister tactics cards um, that are based on enemies failing panic tests and suffering additional effects because of that. All right. So this one, this unit here is kind of my spearhead unit. I will sit these guys in the center of the army and make them the biggest, nastiest threat on the battlefield because your opponent's going to probably come right at them and they're going to be the worst unit to do that with. Alternatively, you can stick them to a flank and stick the naked unit in the center to kind of a, you know, create a false center. Um, that really just depends on what you're playing against and your general tactics and everything. But for me, I like the Sandor unit to just be my spearhead. All right. The unit of the Assault Veteran is just kind of, uh, I don't want to say generic, but the Assault Veteran is making up for the lack of combat potential that the other units have. No, sorry, that the Halberdiers have. Again, talking about tactics cards, we don't really have anything that's going to boost them too much. So the reason that he is in there is because, again, he's like a mini hound. The plus one to hit and plus two attack dice are uh, very nice. But you have to start the turn engaged, which, frankly, the Halberdiers is not that hard to do. But the one thing that I've stressed on many of these little talks about the Halberdiers is that people need to remember, they're throwing seven attack dice uh, with Sundering and don't lose attacks until they hit that last rank. They're a fairly nasty combat unit. Uh, when you charge in as well. Because you charge in, you're going to get the rerolls. Seven hits of Sundering is already going to be nasty. All right? So a lot of people get wrapped up with their set for charge order, thinking like, oh, they're going to charge me, and I'll get to attack them, and, you know, that's great. And it is. But you always want to charge instead of being charged, unless it's going to displace you. So that's something to consider here as well. I've seen a lot of people that get overly cautious of their Halberdiers, and, you know, they just let them get charged every time. The thing with the Halberdiers is that they are going to wrap up units into melee and allow your crosswomen to kind of move up the flanks and, you know, get into their positions. So use your Halberdiers to your advantage. If you want to defend a spot, then yeah, keep them back and let them get charged. But if you need to take some ground, get up there and attack, all right? They're not pushovers. Finally, we come to a unit of House Bolton Bastards Girls with Brawn attached to them as well. And the thing about Brawn is that he can actually really go almost anywhere on this list, but I wanted a kind of seek-and-destroy missile unit, and that's what uh, the House Bolton Bastards Girls are. So Brawn is going to only trigger bonuses when you, contain, when you uh, control the wealth area, but luckily we're playing Lannisters, so that's going to be one of our two uh, cornerstone uh, areas of the tactics board that we're going to want to always be controlling if we can. That and Crown. Now Tyrion opens up the tactics zone as well, so we will need that. But frankly, you know, you just gauge which one you're going to need at any given time. Bronn is going to give you plus one movement, plus two attack dice, and plus two to morale test rolls uh, when his extra incentive ability has clicked on. What that means for the Bastards girls is because they have their Sikkim ability, they can move up... Um, when they're in position, they can make a ranged attack and then make a free charge action. Uh, also, if the defender rolls any ones on their defense rolls for your ranged attack, they become vulnerable. So that's the thing. That ranged attack is not particularly powerful. Yeah, it's three dice, or sorry, uh, four dice hitting on a three plus at long range. That's all right, sure. But you're really aiming just to get them to roll a one to cause them to become vulnerable. Because when you do, you can then charge in um, with your six dice with your reroll, with a 3+, plus, and then force them to reroll their defense die. Uh, the thing that a lot of people don't consider as well, as far as looking at damage output for the Bolton Bastards girls, is that they effectively can cause two panic tests for each of their activations, because the range attack is going to cause a panic test, and then they're going to charge in and make a melee attack, which is also going to cause a panic test. Noting that this is the, again, as I keep saying, this is the primary method of damage that the Lannisters are going to do. So these guys actually hit fairly well in melee, but they're going to trigger a lot of your other effects. 
Now, Braun is getting double duty out of these guys because he's going to give you plus one movement. So that means that you're, you're going to be able to charge in faster. You're going to position yourself around the board better. But those plus two attack dice become way more uh, valuable when you notice the fact that it's not limited to melee. So that means your tracker's bow is throwing six dice, hitting on three plus. Your blade and fang ability, uh, attack, when you charge in, is now eight dice, hitting on three plus. And again, you are getting both of these in a single activation. Again, once per round because of the order. But that's an obscene amount of damage that these guys can throw out. He also is going to give them plus two to their morale test rolls, which is nice because the Bastards girls do have a really, really good morale of five plus because, hell, it's really kind of hard to scare away attack, trained attack dogs. But with this, you know, you roll a three or better and you're passing that test, you know, negatives aside. So that basically makes you almost immune to any type of uh, panic-inducing effects or morale test effects if you're going a mirror match against uh, some Lannisters, for example. So you're going to cancel out a lot of their stuff. So Braun, Braun overall is just a fantastic addition to the Lannisters. I really like sticking him in the Bolton Bastards Girls, noting that he is going to make them a very expensive nine-point unit. And frankly, there is nothing wrong with sticking him in a unit of Halberdiers um, or actually another unit of Lannister Crosswomen because, again, noting the extra incentive does work for any type of attack. So those plus two attack dice can actually work on their crossbow as well, meaning that you're throwing nine dice out at three plus the long range. I just feel you're getting the best value out of him uh, with the Bastards Girls in this list, and so that's why he's in there. Back to speaking about the general stuff about the Bastards Girls, they're basically, as I mentioned earlier, a seek and destroy unit. They're going to go after whatever nasty threats across the battlefield that I really don't want to deal with, but they're also a good cleanup crew. So these guys have a lot of ability to get around to the flanks. They can really pick off units, and that's a good thing that they can do as well, is to charge in, finish up a unit, and free up the rest of your forces to you know get work done. They're also really good at countering threats that are going to be coming after your crossbowmen, which there's probably going to be a few. So, you know, that's another... They're a good counter-charge unit. Uh, the one thing about them is that they're really good at actually taking down heavy armored enemies because they can make them vulnerable. Now granted, I want to point out, most everything in your list is actually going to be really nasty against guys who are relying on their defense saves because you have Sundering on everything. The Bastards Girls don't, and that's why Braun is kind of attached there, is because he's going to just help you with that weight of dice and the vulnerable. I mean, vulnerable in a bunch of dice is going to basically give you, um, actually it depends on the unit, but slightly mathematical edge. Uh, over just having Sundering. It really depends on the situation, but either way, he's fixing that little gap that's kind of in your army. So overall here, um, we've gone over everything in the army. We've gone over some general tactics for them. We've gone over some specific tactics for them. Let's talk about bringing everything together. So depending on the game mode you're playing, you're going to either be aggressive or defensive with this list. And this list can kind of do both, but really it's going to be more defensive than it is offensive because... The whole thing about this list is setting up your battlefield position. Whatever the game mode you're playing or whatever the situation is going to arise, what you want to do is position yourself very well and then capitalize on any mistakes your enemy makes while also just hampering any of their plans. This is a very reactive list. Uh, and I say that in a different way than kind of a Jamie Lannister counterattack list. Jamie's just kind of going to kind of, you know, turtle up somewhere and say, hey, come at me, bro. This list here is going to be very much about the ebb and flow of the battlefield. You're going to be defensive up until the point where you need to be aggressive. Uh, you have such you have answers to every single problem that can potentially come at you, and it's just a matter of 
you know, catering your list to exploit your enemy's weaknesses. Your opponent is really good at charging and assault, but doesn't have a lot of sustained attack. You have the means to out-sustain them. If the opposite is the case, your opponent cannot really, you know, you need to take them out early because they're going to win in the sustained attack. You've got means of doing that. If your opponent is like Rob Stark, where he's got a lot of positioning effects that are going to be really based off his tactics cards, well, you've got ways to shut that down. And without any of those surprise tactics, you know, Rob gets really neutered. <laughs> Direwolf joke there. Um, you have basically ways to counter everything. And the whole thing about this list is don't lock yourself into a set strategy. You need to be flexible. You need to be adaptable, adaptive. And you can come out ahead. That's why I said before that this list is not really a simple one to play. Uh, because Tyrion does not have any strengths that are very apparent. All of, Yeah, you can counter stuff all day long, but if that's not actually helping you win the game, then it's not really going to be that beneficial for you. So the whole thing about this list is that you need to know what your opponent is good at, shut that down, and create a weakness. All right, Every list has a weakness. This one here is just exceptionally good at exploiting them because you're going to be taking away your opponent's strengths. So that's the, uh, the best advice I can give for this. Um... Play it, give it some tries, tell me what you think, and uh, let's. Uh, next time we will look at something Stark related. Take care, guys.